Welcome to The Rock Bite, where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. This is an outdoor podcast that aims for the head. I'm Colin True, and today on the show, I welcome Jess Turner and Chris Perkins from the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable. If you're not familiar with the ORR, it was founded in 2018 to be a singular voice for outdoor recreation across America. You might be more familiar with trade organizations such as the Outdoor Industry Association, People for Bikes, or the RV Industry Association. And each of those focus exclusively on one aspect of the more than 90 different industry categories that make up outdoor recreation in the United States. If any of this is sounding familiar, it's probably because you remember a few months back when the Bureau of Economic Analysis released a report revealing that outdoor recreation in the United States is worth $1.1 trillion to the U.S. economy. Journalist Kyle Frost came on the rock fight to dig into this report and to try and learn more about how this data is utilized by those who are working on creating policy to support the entirety of outdoor recreation in the U.S., I then reached out to Jess and Chris to come on the show and talk about the importance of the ORR to anyone who recreates outside and how we can create unity across all the different ways we go outdoors to play. Whether you're a climber, skier, boater, or dirt biker, the ORR is looking out for all of us. So, welcome back to The Rock Fight, where today it's the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable and the Trillion Dollar Outdoor Economy with Jess Turner and Chris Perkins. All right, we're here today with Jess Turner and Chris Perkins from the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable. Thank you guys both for joining me here on The Rock Fight. Hey, thank you for having us. Well, the reason I wanted to talk with you guys today, and I appreciate you both very much for being here and responding to my requests on LinkedIn. I'm really excited to have this conversation because, you know, I came off of a career in the, you know, quote, outdoor industry at human powered outdoor brands. You know, I was sort of considered uh, conditioned to think of the outdoor economy only in the terms of brands like Merrill, Keen, Marmot, Sierra Desi- Designs, brands like that. Uh, what we now refer to as human powered. And it is re- represented by the trade organization, the Outdoor Industry Association. So to kind of kick things off, I guess it's a bit of a two parter. So the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, what is the role in sort of the greater outdoors economy and community? And as a follow-up to that, like what is the differentiation with the Outdoor Industry Association or or other trade-based organizations? Sure, I can take a stab. Um, So I, too, came from the outdoor human-powered industry, and by that I mean actually OIA. I worked for OIA and ran their conservation recreation portfolio out of D.C., first D.C. office, and um, was there for six years uh, lobbying on behalf of 1,200 of those brands that you've referenced and working the trade show back when it was in Salt Lake and the move to Denver and all of that. And, and so when I became president of ORR and a little bit before that, you know, really started to learn that OIA and that segment of the recreation economy is one of about 35 and maybe more. Um, and so now those are the trade associations that make up ORR. So if you think about OIA and their ecosystem, times that by 35, some much bigger, some smaller, that's how big the recreation economy is. And it is boating and it's fishing and hunting and it's biking um, of all sorts. It's motorcycle and ATV. It's scuba diving. <laughs> it's surfing. It's paddling. And all of those activities have their own centers of gravity, whether it's a trade association or a trade show or boards. And what was happening before ORR is they were living and working in their silos, which was fine for them at the time. And we weren't really getting the attention in the national dialogue as the now $1.1 trillion industry that we know we are because 
OIA alone is not that, or ski alone is not that, or RV alone is not that. But together, we are this huge, huge sector of the economy and um, need to show up as such. And so that's what OR helps with. We show up like other industries do. When you talk to the oil and gas industry or the farming industry, there's tons of subsets of that. Of course, there's ranching and there's agriculture and there's cows and there's chickens and there, you know, you can't, but together the Farm Bureau... <laughs> is really powerful. The farm bill is the biggest bill right. that passes every five years, billions of dollars. The farming industry, as we think of it and as we know it, is massive. Well, recreation's bigger than agriculture. We are actually bigger than that, but we need to start showing up as such. And so ORR is the place where we find the common denominators and work on the things that bring us all together. I like to say it's about 95% of the stuff we agree on. Um, the places we don't agree, that's why it's really important that all of these companies and segments have their own trade associations, have their own trade shows, have their own policy agendas, have their own champions. That is really important. Um, it's also important that we show up with a collective voice from time to time to make some big movements. And also that it, it captures the moment for the consumer currently. <laughs> like it's increasingly rare that, that someone you meet off the street says that they are just a rock climber or just a skier or just an RVer. Consumers do all sorts of things nowadays, sometimes right. multiple times in one day. So to have a forum where we have all these recreation groups in one place to talk about crossover, overlap, shared opportunities, challenges with their consumers has been really valuable because consumers are doing so many things nowadays. That's what makes, I think, the outdoor industry so interesting and fun. Those little internal debates are ones I really wanted to ask you guys about, too. And some of it is self-serving because I'm curious to have a conversation with folks like yourselves who have who are doing this because with all the perception that's out there, the conservation versus recreation debate, you know, the off-road enthusiast versus trail enthusiast, how do we, how do we find that unity? How do we kind of, because it, it does feel like those walls are real between a lot of those groups. So how do you kind of knock those walls down to kind of create that unity that you guys are looking for? So when ORR started and brought all these groups together, all the ones that you mentioned, um, you know, I, mm -hmm. I love the just image because it happened of the snowmobilers next to the skiers, not always the best of friends, of the climbers next to the motorcycles. You know, I mean, all of those like dichotomies that we have in our mind. Well, on the business level, and again, we, we're on the business side. So it's different than the consumer who's pissed that the, you know, e-bike is messing up their horse trail. Like that, that we're not going to fix that tomorrow, <laughs> right? But on the business side, we realize we all essentially need and want the same thing. And that's we want public lands and mm -hmm. waters to be better for people to recreate today and into the future. And a good business environment, whether that's trade, tariff, workforce, immigration, you know, to be able to continue to help people get outside. And when you look at that and you start saying, well, what does that mean? It, it really, you know, created three pillars for us at the beginning, which was access, infrastructure, and funding. Not a single one of those groups is going to say, hey, we need less funding for the outdoors. Okay, we can agree on funding. Not a right. single one of those groups is going to say, hey, my activity needs less access. Nope. Okay, we can agree on access. And on infrastructure, you know, of course, that looks different if you are camping front country RV, you need a bigger, you know, put in or back country and you want just, you know, trails <laughs> that aren't going to wash out, you know, the next rainstorm. But that's infrastructure. Those are infrastructure dollars. Those are infrastructure conversations. And once we, you know, determined that, we were able to really set our sights on, you know, some policy goals, some prescriptive um, language for the agencies, and just a general understanding that 
ORR school is to create a bigger pie of recreation where more people have better access and better experiences. And therefore, those fights over the slices, the one I mentioned at the beginning, the e-bike and the horse pack, which is real, maybe those fights dwindle because there's just better trails. They're maintained better. There's more. There's, you know, more people are getting outside and understanding. Maybe that e-biker now also has, you know, goes horseback riding sometimes and, and so gets to know a little bit those those dynamics. And so as we're thinking on the business side, what allows these businesses to run, we're also helping people, right? Because we are based on people enjoying the outdoors. People enjoying the outdoors means those conflicts, you know, need to be mitigated and we need to have um, better experiences for a longer amount of time. And that gets to infrastructure, sustainability, and funding. And it's just been awesome with legislation like the Great American Outdoors Act, which was really our pillar piece of legislation we worked on when we were formed and we got it passed, you know, glowingly was everyone could agree that we need infrastructure dollars and everyone could agree that land and water conservation fund is a pillar, you know, conservation, um, uh, program that needs to be authorized at the 900 million every year. And so, um, once you get to that, you're like, wow, we could really do a lot together. And I, and I think that was a great place to center all of these trade associations kind of trust and, um, networking, you know, on, on something that was a Achievable. It didn't seem achievable at first, but but it was, um, and it was a win. And mm-hmm. and it's amazing the other things that we can all work on, right? We can work on trade shows. We can work on chemicals management. We can work on trade. We can work on you know c- communicating with the agencies. We can work on the new consumer and what's happening there. We can work on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So once you've got like this baseline of what we're going to work on together and what we're not. Um, the sky's really been the limit. It's amazing the amount of things that come to our table, like, hey, you you should do this. And we're like, yeah, Um, we've never run into, I should say, a lack of ways that these associations and businesses can work together. I'll add one more example as well that many of your viewers may not or listeners may not be aware of, much less most folks in the industry. So U.S. Economic Development Administration gets billions of dollars in ARPA funding in 2021. What's ARPA? Uh, American Rescue Plan Act, uh, aftermath of COVID. They're looking for investment priorities to help recovery and resilience from the pandemic. ORR helps pull together a letter with like 55, 60 different organizations across the recreation economy and also conservation groups to say this is the perfect opportunity to invest in recreation infrastructure and local parks access, new initiatives to get people outside. And EDA sets aside $750 million of that ARPA funding with outdoor recreation identified as an investment priority for the first time. 10, 20 years ago, if you if you go to the EDA and say, like, what's economic development? What are your priorities? Pretty likely they're not going to talk about outdoor recreation infrastructure investments. But we're starting to change that narrative and make inroads with leadership at that at that agency, which is huge. To pair outdoor rec and economic development, I think that's an outcome that's only generated when the whole rec sector comes together in the way we have. And those dollars could be a boat ramp. Um, those dollars could mm-hmm. be an RV campground. Those dollars could be a trailhead, a parking lot, um, a visitor center, accessibility for wheelchairs at overlooks. I mean, it's really cool to think about 
recreation as an economic development tool because that also breaks down the barriers and the silos of what we think of when we think about, you know, all these different segments versus each other. Does the infighting break out then when you do are deciding where the money gets deployed? Like I'm going to have someone on in a couple of weeks from the San Diego Mountain Bike Association and like the things she talks about constantly is, you know, it's never enough, right? It's the, you know, everybody's got like, you should build a trail here or this here. And it's like understanding the difficulties in building a trail, like all all the levels, even just building a trail Mm -hmm. versus, you know, we're going to apply money, spend money on a boat ramp. Well, now are the, you know, are the trail people unhappy? Yeah. You know, is, is there a way, how, to, you know, is that, was that too, are it's we too in the weeds? Question. It's a great question. The cool part is that ORR doesn't get in the weeds like that. We, um, you know, try mm. to get the most, the, the most bang for our buck and, and, and the most to go around. And Chris is, you know, can elaborate on this because he's the expert, but when when you give the money to the region, because most of the times it's the local community that's deciding on this, it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. mountain bikers versus OHVers versus whatever. It's actually going to be the community that decides what's best. And therefore, you're eliminating okay, sort of those conflicts that might exist because the community is saying, um, we know what's really needed here and it's X. Well, and it's it goes back to like kind of the the... the, the the natural silos that kind of occur, right? And it's, you know, and you think, you mentioned like agriculture, like why isn't maybe someone might think, why doesn't it exist there and exist here? And it's like, well, there's a real earnestness to these activities. Everybody so identifies with the things that they do, whether whether it's mountain biking or riding horses or RVing or whatever it is. And some of that might just by naturally fall at odds with another activity. So now just the human nature, like, like, well, screw you, man, you know, you get off of my corner, right? That kind of thing, those little emotions crop up. So to have wins like this and kind of to demonstrate it, and I guess maybe this is the right time to kind of pivot into the trillion dollar well, report well, that came I out a few months back ago. Can I piggyback on something you said, actually, because I think it's interesting. I I don't think um, that those other industries, uh, I guess a negative and a negative, don't have those issues. I think they do. I, I do think there is a mm. conflict sometimes between fracking and traditional oil and gas and mining and and because you know, it's land, there's a limited resource. And and similar with um, the farming community there, you know, whether you're talking about ethanol or, corn, you know, um, uh, grazing or whatever it is, like, again, it's land use. There's always going to be that. They're just sophisticated. They've been around for a long time <laughs> and they know if you go into the agriculture agency and you ask for 500 different things, you're not going to get anything. So they ask for better permitting more leases, quicker turnaround times, less restrictions, less regulations. And that benefits everyone, whether you've got, you know, kale, cows, whatever. Um, And that's where we're getting to is what are the synchronized asks that we can go in and they're going to hear the same thing from so many different voices that they can't ignore us any longer. We've never been coordinated or sophisticated enough to do that. And it doesn't mean every ask will be the same. And certainly we're working through that right now in real time on on legislation. Um, But it does mean there'll be a hub for uh, you know, in a place for where we're all going to agree and where we all agree we can move mountains. And it's, it's not that they're just getting good policy, but increasingly the ag community has embedded itself as a core part of the American identity. Like right. it's, it's bad politics to be seen as going after an American farmer. How could we create a future where that feels the same way for going after Americans, outdoor rec activities and interests? where someone pulls funding from parks and recreation or state parks or whatever, and they get shouted down because that's, that's bad politics. That's, that's like against people's core identity. 
we've had some wins like that, but we still have a long way to go, I think, to really embed outdoor rec infrastructure access as a uniquely American thing that we have to protect. Well, and I think you just laid out why this report that just came out a couple months ago is so important, right? To kind of say, like, this is a trillion-dollar industry that we're talking about. This isn't just the cool thing, like, oh, I have a friend who goes rock climbing, or I have a friend who does this thing, and that's and that's that's kind of, I think it's almost like a way we maybe we see it ourselves of like it's what we do these little niche activities because maybe not everybody does it versus everybody eats and you participates in these other or, or needs energy for their homes. So uh, we almost don't allow ourselves the ability to view the recreation economy as being important. So then having a report that says, hey, no, guys, by the way, this is really important. Is that kind of, was that an important takeaway for you guys when that something like that gets released? Yeah. I mean, Jess, Jess can speak to this because she was, she was there when, when the advocacy effort to build this report came together. But prior to that time, you have industry outlets and organizations and researchers producing data on the economic impact of outdoor rec, which I should be clear is valuable. But if I'm a politician getting data from industries saying that we're worth, let's say, $700 billion or $800 billion, like, yeah, but you made that report. Like, what, what's going on behind the scenes? Right. But in 2016, 2017, to have President Obama at the time sign the REC Act and now have five or six years of data from the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis in the U.S. Department of Commerce, that's major for us. That's a huge advocacy tool to say, yes, we are $800, $900 billion now a $1.1 trillion industry, and we didn't make that data. That's coming from you all. That's coming from the right. U.S. government, right. presumably a nonpartisan source, just trying to be accurate. That's been amazing, not just at the national level, but, of course, that report also produces state-level data to go to state legislatures and say we're worth $10 billion, $14 billion, $21 billion. That's huge. So, and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, I promise. But like, I do feel like when when some of the uh, when you want to bring attention to this, and then it hits, the report comes out, and most of the folks, at least again on the human powered side of things, which is what I pay most attention to, because what we talk about the most on this show, and the folks in the outdoor media, it's kind of like, hey, that's great, look at this, trillion bucks, and then they just kind of move on. You know, we tried to go a little bit deeper. Uh, Kyle Frost, who comes on, did a lot of bit of it, a little bit more digging, and that's kind of what ended up uh, ho- us hooking up to have this conversation. I mean, would you guys like to see more coverage of this? Maybe not even just from the outdoor media, but in mainstream media. Is, is this is this a message that needs to be almost like shouted from the rooftops to kind of accomplish what you guys want to accomplish? Well, first of all, shout out shout out Kyle, because his his newsletter on the outdoor industry at large and also his reporting on on this report, I think is so interesting and thorough. It's one of my favorite newsletters to read. And I think you and him did a, a great job unpacking what this report means in its totality. As far as the coverage, I, I mean, I think it sort of depends where you're looking. Like uh, on, on our end, we saw some pretty great recognition from national outlets like NPR Marketplace and Bloomberg and communications from the Department of Commerce. We saw an unbelievable amount of state level media coverage. It seems like every state is kind of chomping at the bit to champion their economic impact stats and jobs and ranking. I, I think the competitive aspect there is pretty important. To, mm-hmm. to be able to say Pennsylvania is the fifth ranked outdoor rec economy in the country or Montana has the number one contribution to state GDP from outdoor rec. That's exciting for state level reporters. <clears throat> I think when you look within industry media outlets, it, it, it's a bit more of a mixed bag. I think, you know, you see some coverage in, in gear junking outside and various trade association publications. And like I said, I think Kyle did a great job unpacking on his blog. Um, 
I think there's a couple things going on there. One of which is that the the government is going to release their data when they want to release it. And it happened that this year's data was released at 1 p.m. on the Friday before uh, Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, you had to compete it. with Snoop Dogg. You know, he's yeah, giving we, up smoke. We were competing you know? with Snoop, which I, I never <laughs> try to do. Uh, so also, that's a good rule for life. Don't compete also with Snoop. Possibly an <laughs> yeah, outdoor right. company. I don't know. That looked like a good fire pit to me. So I'm thinking. Well, right. did you see they let their CEO go this week and they said they're blaming the Snoop ad for like not oh, coming through with the register. What? And I'm like, well, that's you did a brand building. Yeah, they're this three this week. They're like, well, it didn't pay off. I'm like, so you had a six week campaign that was a brand campaign and it, like, come on now. Anyway, that guy was dead man walking. That's fine. That's well. my opinion. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. I, I so so the first don't thing, compete with Snoop. <laughs> don't compete with Snoop. Not great timing. I, I think the other thing here is that most outdoor publications aren't really focused on cross-sector, cross-industry stories like these. I think when you mm-hmm. look at the leading publications, they tend to have their own vertical, whether it be by, by activity or by the sort of style of writing that people prefer, or like land and water ethic. There aren't many who are thinking about you know, the development of the full outdoor industry or outdoor recreation economy over time and the kind of collaborative and coordinated movement building work that is really important to us at ORR. Yeah. I think yeah. there's a big opportunity there for, for outdoor media to, to dive in deeper to reports like these and, and shout it from the rooftops because like we've covered in this call, when, when we win as an industry, all of us win together. Uh, but there's still these remnants of being in these siloed verticals where people are just kind of thinking about their thing. No, yeah, I, I would just I would elaborate on the the timing before the holiday a Friday, you know, so rough. I mean, that was so rough. Friday at one p.m. before holiday was so yeah, rough. But yeah. also, you know, it it the numbers are used on the hill. They're used by the agencies. Um, they're sort of used when we're comparing with other industries when we're making the case. So, I we don't look at the world with like a public media eye. That's just not what we do. We're not that public facing, and we don't really need you know, mm-hmm. media attention. I, I hope someone else is thinking about that for the recreation economy because I think it's really important. But from a policy perspective, like do policymakers know their state numbers? Do governors know? Um, are the new numbers being used on the Hill to move forward uh, good things for recreation? Sure, they are. And so um, I think there's real like wonky people that are digging into this and doing the right thing. And and I think we always, whether it's this data or the bills we've passed or GAOA or the next national park, you know, that's going to get designated. I think we always struggle with national attention and national media. And, um, it, you know, hopefully these numbers help us break through. But when I'm reading the New York Times and I know like a monument just got designated or I know a massive bill passed and I don't see that, it's crazy to me. I'm like, this impacts everyone. This is, right. you know, our shared heritage. These are tax dollars. This is the future of the country. And then I see like the lead stories about like Hunter Biden or something. You know, it's just, it's what, it's what yeah. is perceived that Americans <laughs> care about. Maybe it's what they really care about. But I would, um, you know, challenge that I, I think we could all do a better job of just making sure that these great stories are getting out there more. But no, you bring up, you guys mentioned the the economy conferences, and I want this is the thing I'm really excited to talk about because, so right now there's currently 20 state outdoor economy off, uh, offices across the country that hold gatherings and conferences and include all the facets of the outdoor economy from business to trail ag- advocacy, it's a hard word to say, to policy. And I'm curious if you guys think this is potentially the framework for a, the trade show that we need right now because 
especially again, I'm, all this is through the lens of the human powered side, and 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 I'm just I'm sure you'll be able to relate to this given your past role. You know, all the talk about does outdoor retailer, you know, what do we do with these trades? Well, we got the big gear show now. And then at the same time, now we've got a climbing wall show. We've got a fabric show. We've got a running show. It's like it's it just sort of the the trade is different. And it's never I don't feel like it's ever going to be what it was. And we had Sean Smith from Outdoor Retailer on a couple of months ago, and he maintains that we need a national trade show. And I think in part, I agree with that. But when I think about everything we just talked about from, you know, the clarity, the, uh, of the, the things we need to see in terms of like outdoor recreation and kind of coming together as a whole to really be this trillion dollar industry when we do work in these silos. And I talked to my friend Drew Simmons about what happened. He told me about what happened down in, in North Carolina. And it's just like this just makes the most sense to me as someone who worked in, in one of these trade organizations before, right, where you have everybody's in the room. You know, you can have brands in the room, but you can have politicians in the room. And it's like, and, and you can have all the different, the 70 different categories in the room. Does that make sense? Or is that just way too much of an undertaking to even think about happening? It's a great question. And and before I get into it, I got to update one of your, your stats. Can you give me a drum roll real quick? I think you'll like this. Oh yeah, I can add it in in post. I can throw a little uh, drum roll nice. for sure. So so this morning at around 10 a.m. Eastern, Governor Ned Lamont announced the 21st Office of Outdoor Recreation. Breaking here on the rock fight. Breaking. Your audience <laughs> is the first. Office of Outdoor Industry and Experiences. He uh, he went to a ski hill and then skied a lap afterwards. Uh, Where was this? What state? Connecticut. Uh, Woo! Connect I cut. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, I, I think there's a lot to unpack here. I, I think, first of all, outdoor retailer is not the only trade show. There are trade shows across totally. this industry in, in all the different rec activities that Jess mentioned earlier. But of course, outdoor retailer in many ways is a a barometer for the future of trade shows. Yeah, I mean, I I think trade shows are having a hard time. Definitely some of these national shows are seeing reduced attendance and interest. And it's not for lack of trying from the planners. I think that the double whammy of COVID and increasingly virtual buying and selling is making them a harder sell. But isn't that why an economy conference makes sense where it's like it's all the players, not just a bunch of brands. Exactly. I, I think you're, you're, you talked a bit about the rise of regional and state level events. I'm talking about like the Arkansas Outdoor Economy Summit, New Mexico Outdoor Economy Summit, Colorado, Wyoming, Maine, Utah, the North Carolina Outdoor Economy Conference, Alaska. I think you're seeing a lot of these state level events, particularly tied to states that have offices of outdoor recreation. And, and from my experience, these these are really dynamic and fun events. And, and part of mm-hmm. that is because you're not just seeing colleagues who you see once a year, um, but you're spending professional and personal time with people who you see frequently because you're in state with them and they're navigating the same state policies or distribution networks or, or guiding in the same regions, whatever it might be. And I think we're going to see a lot more of those. Like Pennsylvania and Massachusetts are two of the most recent states to create offices of outdoor rec, and they're identifying high priority to pull together similar state-level events. I think generally for people to put a show on their calendar, they have to really feel seen, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Trade shows have to mean something different to different types of people, whether it's building a more diverse and inclusive outdoors or people who are really into policy advocacy or field visits and workshops and trail building or, or the traditional buying and selling that we've known in the past. So I'm excited to see how they've developed. I'm, I'm excited to hit yeah. the road and, and visit more states. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how it develops in the next couple of years. And I think it's going to evolve from like not needing the buying piece, like to your point, the trade show, that's just not how it happens anymore 
to the more consumer stuff. I know Colorado is talking about that, like the boat show. I think it's the biggest in the world. It's coming up in February. It's always been massive because it's always been consumer. You know, it's always been BC. And so I I think some of the segments that have been more consumer facing for longer have shows that are are actually really successful. They're not dipping. You know, there's more people going. Yeah, Sea Otter, Otter. right? Yeah, Sea Otter's great. Yeah. So I think there's some really interesting collaborative things. I don't know if we could ever get all the industry together like that, you know, in that environment. I think ORR is ticking away, you know, getting the C-suite with some um, agency and congressional leadership. You know, I think that's one aspect. Um, But I don't know, you know, if that could ever be like consumer facing or um, or, you know, having product there. It's a cool it's a cool concept. And and maybe I'm not thinking big enough. Um, <laughs> no, I think you are. I, I think I agree. I wouldn't want to, I want, you almost want to limit the trade. You don't need the trade right. aspect of it. We weren't writing orders in yeah. 2005. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, it doesn't, it hasn't, it's just, it's the, the marketing side and the, and the brands being on display and being a part and almost puts more pressure on the brands to be part of the solution and kind of maybe embrace the more sustainable manufacturing exactly. and things like that. If they see the world and as a whole, it's, right? it's important for nonprofits. And I think that was something that I got a really big, um, lens into when I was at OIA was like when this trade show started to dip mm-hmm. and not as many people were coming from the brands, like the brands weren't the ones missing out though. They're going to be connected with the REI. They're going to be connected with the public brands. They're going to be right. But like that small nonprofit that gets funded by Hydroflask or REI or whoever isn't going to have that face-to-face yeah. touch point or, or the new nonprofit's not going to have the opportunity or they're not going to have their um, fundraiser, you know, happy hour and and that's the type of mm-hmm. stuff where the nonprofit community is really core to the outdoor across everything. You know, every, again, every segment, every silo has their nonprofit community that does the great work, um, whether it's motorized, you know, trail builders. Like I think most snowmobile trails are, are actually kept up and maintained by snowmobilers, right? And, and I know that's really similar to the mountain biking community. And and those touch points are are incredibly important. I don't know how you get that. And I think losing that, we lose um, small entrepreneurial brands able to get in front of Mm -hmm. retailers, um, which is a really important part of the show. And we lose um, new innovative programs and people who are helping get people outside, um, you know, telling their story. So how do you capture those two things without having to take orders, (laughs) you know? Well, so let's wrap up with what's on the docket for 24. Like we like we talked about before we hit record, there's not a lot happening in 24. It's going to be a really quiet year out there, you know, and like just people are going to stay at home. No one's, the news is going to be boring, you know. So what what are you guys going to be working on? Well, I'm hoping that we're off to a very strong start in 2024. We've got a bill that's... Um, going to get marked up very soon in the house and then go over to the, may, maybe pass by the full house and go over to the Senate, hopefully pass by the Senate. And maybe by the next time we all talk, we have this massive piece of recreation legislation. That's how it's supposed it, to work, it right? It is. It's funny to even have to talk <laughs> through that process because it's just not how bills pass anymore. So that is how a bill becomes a law. And um, that is hopefully <laughs> how our bill will become law. Uh, no, but I think if we if we get this m- big recreation package passed, it's got provisions that have been out there for a decade, as long as I've been working on this stuff. Um, it's There's something in it for everyone. If you fish, if you hunt, if you ski, if you bike, if you paddle, if you climb, there's a really important climbing provision in there. Um, if you ATV, RV, boat, it, there is a provision in here for you. And I, it's the, um, it's really a emblematic of, I think, ORR and what we've been doing over the past five years is that we can, for the first time ever in the history of the United States, bring together 
a package of individual bills. There's probably 20 to 30 individual provisions into one um, massive bill that will get passed and not passed, you know, attached to something, you know, controversial or funding or rider. It's going to move on its own, hopefully. I'm knocking on every, all the wood here. Uh, um, and that will show, I think, what a $1.1 trillion industry should be able to do. Um, and it sets precedent, right, that we can get good policy done, working together, little wins here and there. It's bipartisan, bicameral, doesn't cost anything. And we should do this every three or four years, just like every other big um, sector. So the the oil and gas guys get their energy bills and uh, permitting bills. The agriculture guys and gals get their um, farm bill, you know, it, it, everyone has these packages that come around and, and we really need that for the recreation economy. So I'm hoping that 2024 starts with that. And that puts us in a really great position for all of the other stuff we want to do. And, and, you know, some's legislative, some's policy with the agencies. We've got, um, BLM rule that's out there that's going to get finalized. We've got a ton of projects that are still rolling out from, all of the uh, infrastructure money and all of the GAOA money. Um, we've got some LWCF stateside uh, things to work on, and and in general, you know, I think we've we've got these non-endemic groups that use recreation, and I don't want to say abuse, but um, that that use and abuse <laughs> recreation. You know, we've got people that aren't um, they're not playing, and, and they're, they're getting they're they're um, getting the advantages of a thriving recreation economy, and they're not supporting it. And so we, we've got to bring them to the table. Um, and then I think the the big thing is, you know, ingraining recreation in the health system and the public health system and the transportation system and the yeah. housing system and the education system. Once we've got our ducks in a row internally, and and I think, you know, we've, we've done work with the federal land and water ma- management agencies for decades, right? And that only takes us so far, but there's other ones out there, state, local, and federal. Um, the VA, you know, we've got inroads, Chris and our other colleague, Ambreen, to the VA, where we're talking about health and wellness and veterans returning and, you know, what do they do with their service and how do we um, connect them to careers in the outdoors. So I think there's a big, um, shift that's about to happen, you know, at least with ORR and our work after, um, this bill passes on, on what's next and can we think bigger and broader and, um, and, and just outside of our boxes <laughs> now that we've, now that we've gotten, uh, down the silo boxes of the segments of the industry. Now let's break out of just our industry and, and think a little bit bigger about how outdoor recreation can really connect to Americans every day and everywhere. And that's a really exciting, um, prospect. Well, listen, I appreciate you both joining me here. I hope we can do this again. Um, maybe around the time when that bill gets passed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's going to be great. It's going to be a great 2024, right? That's what we're, that's what we're doing. Chris and I will retire. <laughs> <laughs> Just it's over. Drop the mic. You're out. Yeah, we're retiring. Gonna, you yeah. go on tour with Snoop. It'll be, uh, you know, yes, yeah. nice, nice full circle. Only this industry paid, paid better, but you know. we'll get, we'll about that (laughs) but thank you both very much for joining i I really appreciate it i really hope we get a chance to talk to you again thanks thanks so much for the opportunity all right that's the show for today big thanks to my guests jess turner and chris perkins if you want to learn more about the work being done at the outdoor recreation roundtable you can head to recreationroundtable.org that's recreationroundtable.org Send me your feedback on this episode of The Rock Fight or any episode of The Rock Fight. Send your emails to myrockfight at gmail.com and find us on socials, TikTok, Instagram threads at underscore rockfight underscore. Please take a second to hit that follow button wherever you're listening to subscribe to the show. 
The Rock Fight is a production of Rock Fight LLC. I'm Colin True. Thanks for listening. And here to take us out is Krista Makes with the Rock Fight fight song. We'll see you next time, Rock Fighters. Rock Fight!